0: welcome to breaking down bits a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them
1: hey this is breaking down bits and i'm brian gendron I'm Drew Jordan, and we're
0: glad to have you. Uh, Man, I started this thing in the pandemic, still going strong, getting the chance to to interview and talk through some amazing uh, comics. And today, absolutely no different. A comic with so many credits. It was hard to make the intro video that you'll see later because I could have written a book about (laughs) what this guy has done in his career. It's going to be a very fun conversation.
1: My man works hard, but uh, let's look back real quick. Think about all the episodes we've done this far, Drew. Man, like what? Like 35, 36 hours of content. You can get all of our previous episodes on breakingdownbits.com. Also, all the places you get your podcasts, YouTube, Apple, Google, all the things, right? And uh, the other thing that's been going strong, and I am proud of us for this commitment and sticking to it, damn it. But uh, the Breaking Down Bits online mic every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, like clockwork. Drew, we're there.
0: Yeah, it's been really fun. It's great to. It's a very collaborative kind of space. You know, comedy can be very competitive in your in your own scene, perhaps. And this is a this is a great way to pop out of that and just uh, give some tags, some feedback, try some new jokes, uh, and it's all just super fun. It's just comics being comics together and and writing and enjoying comedy. Um, pop in there, shoot us an email, and uh, hop on next Tuesday if you want. Yeah, that's
1: right, Drew. You can do that by uh, emailing us at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com. Again, it's on Tuesday. Just hit it sometime before Tuesday, the week before you want to get on. Also, it happens a lot. I'll get it on social media. No big deal. That's, that works just as well as uh, as email at BreakingDownBits. Send us a message, drop into my DMs, nothing weird, and uh, <laughs> and we'll get you up. All right. So uh, good time for callbacks to our last episode. J.F. Harris, what do you think? Okay. I picked something that was a very small
0: portion of the conversation, but I think very important, especially for new comics. I kind of struggled with this early on in some ways, writing comedy material that's really personal and important to you. uh, But there's a balance of doing uh, we meet JF kind of talks about the balance of doing topical stuff versus meaningful stuff that you're you're into. And I think there is a balance there. He says sometimes he will use social media to throw out the topical the you know topical jokes every now and again. And that's important and it's fine. It sometimes it can get you a pop on social media, but he was talking about how like he's never seen more co- more new comics bomb than when they try to come out and do some a bunch of topical jokes that are they're really not passionate about, like, like they'd come out and did a bunch of Trump jokes or a bunch of political stuff or social commentary. And it's like topics that they don't really care about. And I think it's important that, you know, to balance that and to know that what's probably going to benefit your comedy writing and your comedy career is just to be true to yourself and stay in the lanes that you're truly, honestly passionate about.
1: Yeah. And basically what you're to summarize, what you're saying is authenticity, show up authentic and and that'll come off in your performance. So that's a great tip and uh, something that I think JF did a great job of elaborating on my thing was interesting. Uh, it's kind of outside of the realm of comedy. He did a ton of book recommendations and most of which had nothing to do with comedy, more life stuff. Yeah. Uh, I guess the road dogs have a lot of time and, the, you know, yeah. he's driving across the country. I'm sure he's doing a lot of audible books, but he recommended Ryan holiday and uh growth hacker marketing. And for anybody who's uh, promoting a show, running their own show, thinking about running a show, uh, check out that book, Growth Hacker Marketing by Ryan Holiday. And then here's what happens at the end of that book. Ryan Holiday did a bunch of book recommendations and now that's expanded my library of reading. So I'm about to get into the 22 immutable laws of marketing and then the 48 laws of power which is a which is a really unique book uh it sounds uh very alpha but uh (laughs) as you just as it's just a way to kind of look at examine all the relationships and in comedy it's a tricky thing isn't it like with all the different relationships whether it's bookers and uh you know people that are uh your peers people a little bit ahead of you uh it's hard to to get through all that and this gives you some tips as to how you might um approach uh your your ascent through this challenging industry so uh check out that book by ryan holiday i thought that was a great start and it's opened up some some new reading material for me.
0: Make sure you grab the correct book and don't grab that 48 uh, Secrets to White Power. That's different. It's not <laughs> the book you're looking
1: for. Just yeah. regular power. Didn't you write the forward on that? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, man. Uh, what do you think? It's time to bring in our guest? Yeah, let's
0: do it. Gianmarco Ceresi is a multi-talented performer Whose credits are honestly way too numerous to fit in this video As a stand-up, he's been featured on Netflix's Bonding PBS Stories from the Stage Real Housewives of New York And was the winner of Amazon's Comics Watching Comics Season 8 Gianmarco has appeared in Hustlers with Jennifer Lopez TBS The Last OG with Tracy Morgan ABC's Deception And can be seen in the upcoming Billy Crystal Tiffany Haddish movie Here Today His sketches, tweets, and other writing have been featured in Esquire, The Atlantic, The A.V. Club, ABC News, The Huffington Post, and many more. He's got a podcast called The Downside, and his debut comedy special, Shelf Life, is now
1: available on Amazon. Yeah, John Marco, what's up, man? What a what
2: a beautiful intro. Really, it really shows how much I rely on gesturing to drive home the punchline. My God, I've never seen hands move that much. I look like a
0: juggler. Uh, sure, I look, I look for the moments where there's some movement. Cause I know there's, we're sure. not hearing the joke. So I'm, I'm purposely pulling those moments out. This is one
2: clip where I'm like this
0: the whole time.
2: Don't focus on the writing. Look at the hands.
0: I actually, when I watched that back, I was like, did I speed this clip up? <laughs> is this, what is I, this I, super speed? <laughs> I know the bit. It's, it's just, it's a fast, it's a fast one. That's a funny bit too. I was, when I, when I watched that one because, um, someone I know also went through a similar situation. And I, I I was like, wait, this is a common thing. Them asking you the questions and trying to trick you with the Jesus question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was <laughs> the birthright
2: trip. And I, I talk about they
0: ask you all these casual questions about
2: your upbringing. And then they go, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And something about it, it was just so strange. Like I, part of me was I was like, it's none of your business who my personal Lord <laughs> and Savior is. <laughs> I'll tell you how many times I went to temple, but that is that is you know. Let's get to know each other.
1: Well, let's get to know you. Uh, that's sort of the format of the podcast. We really like to understand a bit of your background because you've obviously, based on the introduction, done a lot of amazing things in your young career already. Sure to do more. Uh, so, tell us how you got your start in in comedy. Uh, yeah, so I was I was a theater kid, uh,
2: very much. Uh, I went to college for musical theater, and. um I I always liked comedy, you know, but nothing crazy. I was just a comedy boy like uh, Dane Cook and Chappelle were my high school idols, like, like many people my age. And um, I took a class at Caroline's Comedy Club in uh, junior year of high school. Just I was doing an acting program in the city and I. Um, you know, I've I've mixed feelings about classes. I think they can be useful. I think they probably cost too much money. Uh, I I don't know if it's good to make it easier to get into stand up comedy or whether it's 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 better for it to be like a little bit like how do you do how do you get in here? But it kind of forced me to like write five minutes. I really took to it. I I went back to college. I did an hour. So I did five minutes. Then I went back to college. I did an hour for like, you know, my friends yeah. in a small theater. And from then on out, I had the delusion that many, many actors do where I was like oh, I'm an actor slash stand-up comedian. I can do an hour on stage. And it's still, some of it's online. It's the it's the filthiest hour ever made. I, I, every time I had sex up to that point, I discussed in this hour. <laughs> I mean, it really it was like the first time I masturbated, first time I came, the time I thought she was squirting, but she peed on me. Like, it was a dirty, filthy, filthy hour. And uh, I... Uh, basically then moved to New York City and I thought I was a stand-up comedian and I would do like two bringers a year and they'd be for like sold out white hot audiences and I had the stage presence I think to kind of ride the wave of the energy so I I would do well enough um, I, I maybe did like one or two open mics at the, at the creek in the cave before it moved to Austin and they were terrible so I'd bomb at these mics and I in my head, I had I had the, the insane thought where I said, oh, I don't really my act doesn't really work unless it's like a sold out audience, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, especially when you're not in like a comedy circle and talking comedy with people to to not have so much of being a comedian. I think is uh, is fine tuning and trusting your own sense of judgment because that that's all you have Uh, you know, no, no one's going to watch all your shows. And so in the beginning, my, my, I I, I was skewed. I, I thought I was great. I thought the writing was great. I, in my head, I said, well, look, I have proof. I crushed at the sold out Caroline show. I'm bombing at the mic with 10 comedians. I'm clearly above these comedians. They just don't get it. And, um, so that's just what I thought of. So uh, I, I wasn't really a stand-up comedian. Maybe did you know ten shows over the course of four five years, and then um, I I ended up writing a play that had like a lot of like storytelling comedy in it, and uh, I had a, a producer friend who I I had been doing sketch comedy now a little bit more and and some some TV commercials, and she saw my monologues and she was like, you should focus on this, uh, like you know this just me talking to the audience and uh i noticed as we went along that like and again this is very much i think a part of being an artist it's like oh where are people responding when am i doing things where after the show people go oh that was great or oh i love that thing and uh my response from that kind of monologuing storytelling was getting a, a lot more attention than my acting work frankly and um I I had to like you know have a kind of a, a coming to Jesus sit down be like cuz I knew the lifestyle of a stand up comedian and it wasn't what I was doing it's it's kind of giving up your nights and I'm not a I'm not a social butterfly I I like I'm a homebody and uh, I just had to really force myself out there um and I basically started Getting into shows and I I leaned on the fact that I had TV credits to kind of uh, muscle my way into shows I maybe not wasn't ready for. I headlined Caroline's quite early uh, because I was like the spokesman of General Electric at the time. And again, white hot, white hot audience. uh, Very good. Can't post any of the clips, though, because the writing is just not not there. Um, And. I think a real, is this okay? Am I, am I boring? Is this good? Am I it doing the right?
1: Perfect. It's perfect. Cause we'll get into the writing at the, in the back half of the show. Um, Fantastic. And I will, yeah. But I will, I will say that I, I love what you said there about sacrificing your nights. Like you're, it's a sacrifice to get good at this and you, you have to, you have to approach it that way uh, and recognize that you're doing that. Like some people are just in it and they're, maybe they're just into the scene and they are social butterflies, but just take a step outside of that and be like, Oh shit, I am dedicating a lot of energy and time to this. Um, let's get better at it. You know, sure.
2: I, you know, I got very lucky. I think it can be very difficult uh, to find a place that you can really work a lot. And I got lucky or unlucky, depending on who you want to ask. So th- there's a club in in new york i guess i i won't say its name but anyone who knows me will know what it is and i i became like their check spot person and i would do the check spots there and this these were brutal check spots these are the definition of just the worst kind of slow gradual the servers are not uh being paid enough to be concerned about the show i blame them uh, and, you know, they they also they, the service were coming in, leaving a lot of a lot of turnover. And so I, I, I was loud and that helped me get through the check spots. And I for like a year, I would say, did nearly every check spot at this club. And wow. at the time, it would be four check spots on weekdays, five or six on weekends. Uh, and then like during the holiday season, there were a couple of days where I was doing eight. Check spots. You're starting at 4 p.m. going till 1 a.m. It was a brutal year, and um, it takes it takes a certain kind of life. I wasn't fucking anyone. I wasn't dating anyone. I didn't have a lot of friends. I had some money from the from from commercial work. Uh, I don't think I could do that kind of life again at this moment in my life. May, you know, if I had to, I'm sure, but my my girlfriend would definitely leave me. It was a very <laughs> a brutal time and it was a mix of like doing that i i learned how to be in a very tough kind of club environment uh and then one of my biggest turning points i'd say was doing roast battles and i don't i i i don't think i've ever been a great roaster i don't do it much anymore but roast battles uh kind of stripped my ability to rely on any kind of charisma I started with comedy fight club where the audience were really all comedians. And when you're with all comedians, um, stage presence, charisma is, is worth a lot less. Um, because you know, who, who gives a fuck at least amongst us. I think it's important overall. Uh, but I would go to comedy fight club and I fucking bombed my ass off. I bombed so hard. Uh, and that it's kind of fight of roast battles. Some people don't like roast battles for lots. Of, I remember Usama Siddiqui said roast battles are just a way for white people to be racist or something. And I, I think that's a very fair critique. of yeah. roast. It is, a writing, it is a writing prompt. I mean, that's what a roast battle is. And the prompt is look at this person. Uh, you can go out, interview them, get facts, get facts on the ground. And your job is to, uh, to insult them in a way that gets a pop out of the audience there's no there's a couple people who do monologues and roast battles and i'm blown away by it but mostly roast battles is about one-liners and it's like a setup you you gotta surprise hard because people know that the whole point of the roast joke is that you're really gonna have a pop at the end of it and so the bar for that is is high and um i learned a lot by like bombing and roast writing the, the the way that i could test material i could write down you know this person okay so they're overweight their father died of a heroin overdose and uh, they work at starbucks and you would i would break down you know those three things try to come up with 20 jokes about their dad dying of a heroin overdose and then i would run it by people and uh, you know in the case of the heroin overdose i'm making that one up but it's not far from what i did for sure <laughs> and you have to be like, okay, I got to come up with a pop that somehow supersedes the sadness of their dad being dead. Um, and I, I feel like that really informed a lot of my writing practice, um, where I'm, a, I'm well, we're going to get into writing, but where it just taught me how to break down ideas. Um, something that would be funny if I, if you look at someone, you're like, oh, like they, they look like a pedophile. Okay, so how do I, how do I create a way where I reveal
1: that or twist that? Um, taught me a lot. W- was roast a, You're sort of you're able to sort of synthesize and then re- reduce it to to the minimum to get that surprise. Is kind of it, making tight one liners. But like what, what what you're doing there, what you explained, the check spots, the roast battle, um, throwing the class. Uh, it's it's very inspiring and and, and new, newer comics especially or any any level honestly you can't just do the five minute open mics for years like really like stretch and and try different things and that'll really help you grow and that seems to be a, a key ingredient to your growth.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I think I recognize that. Like, and again, I think like there's some comedians who who obviously not have a theatrical training, and I, I knew what I had already, and I knew what my weaknesses were. And I think um, I diversified the places I performed. And like that, that's where the problem was earlier on when I was a pseudo comic was like, I I wasn't diversifying. I went to two open mics. I bombed them and I was like, ah, fuck them. But but there is a real importance to performing in as many different kinds of rooms as possible. Um, I had a comic reach out to me recently, though, like phenomenal writer, genius Twitter person. And she wants to get in at the club that I was talking about where I do check spots. And I I told her, I was like, uh, you know, this just so you know, you're not going to dig this place. But she was like, I'm tired of killing in Brooklyn rooms and that being it. And like if she pursues this, that's that's I think it's very admirable. I think it's a. you know, there's arguments to be made. You can cultivate your fan base and decide, you know what? I don't need to perform for middle America or I need to perform for conservatives or I don't. You can do that if you want. But I, I don't feel like I have the luxury of options. And my ability to to work that L.O.L. room is the reason why, you know, Connecticut, I had this crazy day in Connecticut last weekend where I did a, a bachelorette party for seven people and then i did like a, a thing outside for 800 people in front of a giant american flag and they're very <laughs> different kinds of gigs they're very different kinds of gigs and um, i think it's like i know a lot of comics who who esquew roast battles and and throw it off because they suck they suck at it and i if you have aversions to it because you're like, well, I don't like racism. I totally get that. I'm not going to tell you to force you to do roast battles. But if you're just like, eh, I don't like roast, I do think it's worth at least figuring out how to do okay at them. Because if you write for award shows, that involves roast jokes. If you make fun of yourself, that involves roast jokes. Like it's just about structure. Do, do one of those roast jokes where you try to make the other person look good, you know, flip it. If it makes it feel, it makes you feel better. But I I think it's always good to play with those those forms because you learn a
1: lot about your own style. It's yeah. a good good callback to Saratiana. We had Saratiana on and we talked exclusively about writing roasts. And then Drew and I did a roast and I kicked his ass. So okay. uh, it was our first okay. one. Yeah. Okay, I'm too <laughs> It's
0: too no, nice. I, I like the idea. I I love the idea of encouraging people to like try different rooms, different scenarios because. Yeah, every like in Houston, there's a very big culture shift between in the city and in the suburbs. It's it's crazy different. So like the first time you go to the suburbs, and do a set, you realize, oh, these jokes don't work. These jokes kind of do, uh, and it's it's a it's a fun challenge to go. How do I make all? How do I make all my set? hit every audience or how do I, you know, how do I make these jokes, my jokes work for any audience I'm in front of instead of just the people who vibe with what I do, you know, like that. Yeah. I think watching Sam talent this last weekend was an exercise in that. Totally. The guy is so flexible that if he ever started going away, that the crowd wasn't really with him. He made a course correction. He either dug in deeper and made it funny or he course corrected and went a different way. Like the guy just worked the room and it was just a master class um, in, in really seeing the room, knowing what's happening. And God, it's just, it's inspiring to see someone. He can, I feel like Sam is definitely one of those guys. You put him in any situation, he's going to find a way to win. And that's the kind of comic that I want to be too, you know?
2: Yeah. And it's, and it's a fine line too, where it's like, you know there's certainly i know certain comics that i think are phenomenal and but like i would never have them uh if i were so lucky to choose like open for me in like a connecticut room where i know it's going to be older and so like there there is a fine line where like you you want to be able to perform as many places as you can while at the same time making sure you're true to the things you want to say and I think it's like, as soon as you do have to recognize, like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm for the Connecticut gig felt really uh, uh, clear to me because it was the most people I've ever performed of before. It was outside, you know, the, the mic wasn't great, it was spread out, so there were a lot of... Th- it it was a beast that I could have lost control of very easily. And like, there are certain things that I wanted to joke about that I have to like, let go of and go like, well, I'm not going to try this joke or like, you know, I have a, I have a bit right now about how during COVID, a lot of news anchors were like, it's like a nine 11 every day. And I was there and I saw people's phone cases had, you know, American flags or nine 11 things. And I'm like, look, if I do this nine 11 thing, I don't know if I'm coming back to this place ever again, but I pushed a little, you know, I pushed a little, I had a couple Trump things in there and I had a lot of like older white guys being like, we were going to be mad, but you made fun of Biden too. So, okay. So you push a little, you can try to, you can try to stretch the room. And I think, I think it's very good to try to stretch the audience. But if you go too fast, too hard, You know, you're going to break them and they're just going to hate you. And then you haven't won anything. You haven't swayed any minds. So what I was saying is that, like, there's a there's being universal. And then there's also making sure you don't become so universal that you're you're broad and God forbid, hack. Um, that's that's
0: That's the balance, you know, that's good stuff, man.
1: It's probably a good transition point to get into writing. It seems like you've, you've found a way to get passionate about writing. Uh, so one of the things that we ask all of our guests, very open ended, how does Jean Michael Marco, excuse me, John Marco write comedy? So I'm a big
2: I'm a big reader outer. I don't know. I imagine it came from my acting background, like, you know, having a script and I I never memorize, I never like sit down and like memorize and run it. But, uh, I have everything out in word documents. It's always evolving, but at the moment, Oh, it's such a mess. Like, there's different highlighted colors, and people are like, what does that color mean? And I'm like, it used to mean something. Now it doesn't fucking mean anything. <laughs> like I, I have like two word documents. One is called comedy canon. And it's like all the stuff that's kind of done. And maybe I'm tweaking a little here and there. And then I highlighted a different color. And then there's comedy lab. So it, it's like any kind of idea I put down there uh then before sets i'll like look through it i'll glance through it i'll write down certain new things i want to work on on a notepad and i'm someone if i can sneak a notepad on stage i might not even get it but i just do it i don't give a fuck uh if it's a certain kind of gig where i can't i wouldn't bring up a notepad at the comedy cellar if i should be so lucky but in general like you know, I'm coming. I'm coming down to Houston. I'm sure I will write down on a napkin a couple bits, and then I'll forget to do every single one of them. But I will do it as an exercise to encourage myself to try something new. But uh, I I like to write everything out because um, I I don't I love to test a lot of time. I just I I love ch- tweaking and 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 figuring things out. So I like to write everything out. I'll break it up into sections um and then i i will run it by i have a friend who just lets me talk at her and i listen if she laughs or not and she's a very generous laugher so that's like round 1 yeah. then i might run it by my sisters i uh, i do open mic sometimes but i'm i'm fortunate enough right now at least where i have a couple shows i really can Bomb if I if I want to, if I'm brave enough, and i'll I'll run it there. I listen, I listen back to every set, ninety percent of the time. And I listen while looking at my laptop, I make the tweaks. Um, and then I'll just try to expand and connect. And yeah, there's jokes that I didn't figure out until five years later. Or jokes that I thought were done that I then expand or I figure out a callback or I figure out finally how to make this into
0: a real chunk as opposed to four one-liners. Um, I, I, think, I think you mentioned something really interesting there that I, I you don't hear it a lot, but I think a lot of people do it. And you mentioned just, just calling up the friend. Now, this I'm assuming this friend, not a comedian not a comedian just a friend yeah yeah so i i've started doing that with some of my old high school friends that i'm still connected to and i'll just call them up and be like hey can i just like tell you this thing i'm working on and for some like you're it's not a it's not a, a, a you know in place of open mics but it kind of does give you that same information and i've really enjoyed that because my friends are kind of funny so some of my tags come from them just like having that conversation of course,
2: I, there's like well, Maria Bamford does the thing. I don't know if I could do what she does. Uh, I mean, she has the. F- I don't mean like fame wise, but she will tweet out, "Who wants to meet up for uh, lunch? I'll buy you lunch." And she'll run her full hour for that stranger. I don't know if I could do it for a stranger because I just can see a lot of strangers that would be like, oh, I, "I don't want to be here anymore." But uh, I have, I have a, a couple friends. I've, I think I've gotten better at alternating but i certainly uh overstayed my welcome with some friends i one of my first one of my first kind of girlfriends uh was a stand-up comedian and this was just when i was starting and like i mean this poor woman had to deal with i was running inside i mean you know i'm a little crazy like that i'm a little uh, uh obsessive about that i i I think there God, there was one woman. I mean, it was horrible. If we looked at it, if they ever wrote a memoir, it would be like we would get back at night, we'd get stoned, and I would run an hour of material as foreplay. It's it's, <laughs> it's, it's a horrible habit. but I um the other thing you can learn, other than like I, I think with a lot of my new material, I just need that first person to laugh to make me go, okay, there's something enough here to bring it on stage. Because sometimes inside, especially if it's like a big swing, you're like, am I crazy? I think this is funny. And there's also a sense where like there are certain jokes like I- I'll get so specific. This is not a, f- a fantastic joke yet, but I say um, my dad, uh, uh, there's uh, people, there are people out there. You know how they say men are either like a legs guy, a butt guy or a boobs guy. And I know it's offensive to minimize men like that. But my dad, he's a legs guy. When he's a tall woman, he's like, oh, son, she's got legs for days. Because that's how you have to measure legs, in days. Because measuring them in feet sounds like an insult. And the thing was like, and then from there I built, but I was talking to my girlfriend for this case. And she was like, she didn't, she thought I meant measuring legs in feet, not units of measurement feet. And I've been tinkering with this joke for almost two years. It's always been a back burner type thing. And I was like, oh, I had no idea that I need to clarify measuring them in units of feet or something like that because you didn't get the setup. So there I am trying to fix the fucking punchline. Meanwhile, the setup was not even clear to begin with. And it was hard for me to realize that. Because I'm just operating from my own understanding where it's obvious. So sometimes with non-comedians, especially, it can be very useful because they literally don't understand
0: what it is you're saying. And that's a huge lesson. Right. Between comedians, you kind of you fill in the gap, perhaps because, you know, we kind of where it's going or you understand comedy so much that feedback from another comedian, they give you maybe they give you some gimmies that maybe a regular audience member might miss. Yeah. We all know open, we, we all have had jokes that work at open mics. Sometimes the jokes that will kill at
2: open mics is a good sign that it will not work for regular people. It's too dark or it's just like the twist is, is too insane that for a comedian, it's like, whoa, I really didn't see that coming. And for an audience, they're like, what? So, You know, every sure audience becomes- has a, a problem. There's every audience is a problem with learning from them. And that's why you have to diversify
1: the audiences. I have yeah. a, a great call to action from just kind of synthesizing what y'all just talked about. So Drew, you're calling an old friend. Uh, it's just a good thing to do. We get into this habit where like we know what they're doing because we're on Facebook and we see them, but fucking call them. But the but more important thing is, Drew, you talked about it. they give you a tag. You want to know why? Because they know you. It, it's it's yeah. part of the, the the exercise of showing up more authentic. They'll they'll give you stuff that's true to you because they know like real Drew, like from high yeah. school, that weenie. Um, that and, terrible, <laughs> yeah. But uh, and so that's really helpful. And then like like you mentioned, just having the outside. Uh, of comedy perspective. All of our friends are comedians. It's nice to talk to people who aren't sometimes. And, uh, and then the last thing is you talked about we are, we're, we're like obsessed with word economy, but sometimes you need those clarifying words, those words that, that just set it up better. You need to add words back in, which feels uh, adverse to what we're taught, but it's important in times like the case you just, the example you gave.
0: Yeah, you yeah. got to get the information up front right. You know, and, and, you know, even uh, Matthew Driesard talks about, how much information to give the audience. And sometimes, you know, finding that right amount of information in the setup is really important. And he talked about how it was um, sometimes it's leaving out some information to make the punch harder. And there's so many different ways to work it for sure. But yeah, you got clarity is you can't help, but be clear or cause honestly, the first time you said that I was thinking cause you're talking about legs. My brain immediately did go to like feet and not the unit of measurement. The first yeah, time yeah, you yeah. said that.
2: And yeah, it's so, so that, that's what I say. It's, it's always good to just, I love things by people. And honestly, like comedians, it's, it's very funny. I will have, sometimes when I'm really stuck on a joke, I'll, I'll text a comedian. I'll be like, Hey, any thoughts? I'm like, I'm trying to say this. And it's, it's interesting because comedians obviously think so different because sometimes a comedian, their suggestions. I'm like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and we all operate on such different wavelengths in terms of it's very hard to find a comedian that can really write for you or like Mm -hmm. really understand your style. And it's, it's always funny. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm always blown away by some genius friends and they send me something and I'm like, I thought you were good. What is this? (laughs) What is this that you text me? And, but then every, but then all it needs, you know, then they come
0: up with one that works and it's like, Oh my God, you're, that's the life. tough part about co-writing with other comedians is like you have such different voices that like I've done it before and I have a joke that I still do. And one of, uh, one of the really great comics in Houston gave me a tag for it and I tried it and it's just so not me that I can't pull it off. Like it just doesn't make sense coming out of my mouth. It just like it never hits. But if he said it, it would it would be wonderful. But I yeah. just can't pull it off. I, it's also
2: funny because if you ask like a comedian and they tell you, you're, you kind of are obligated to try it on stage. I heard a great—I think Anthony Jeselnik told a great story where he was opening for Chris Rock in London, and like Chris Rock had a suggestion for like a different punchline, and uh, he, he Anthony said like you know, and he's someone who probably doesn't take suggestions lightly, but he was like, I had to. It's Chris Rock, and he was clearly it did not go great, <laughs> and it's like. Yeah, If you ask a comedian in person, especially get ready to try it, whatever they say. Cause if you don't, that's a slap in the face.
0: Yeah. We, we also talk about getting ready for like a set. We talked a little about your writing process. Talk to us about how do you prepare for a set and what do you do those last? And also what do you do those last moments before you step on stage? Any, any preparation there as well?
2: Yeah. So I say one of my, I'm very organized and, like, writing jokes. I am very uh, reluctant to write out sets and set lists. I don't know why. It just bothers me. I hate making those choices. Um, the 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 set I sent you guys, it's, like, finally for, like, late-night submissions. I, like, had to. But I did it, like, fucking at holding a gun to my own head. It was so yeah. excruciating. So I, I like to... Um, it's a little bit neurotic, but like what I like to do, because I have this document of jokes that I, I, I are good or that I want to do, I have like a smaller notepad and I will scroll through. I'm very obnoxious. I always have my laptop out and I'll scroll through the document and I'll write down on the notepad, even if I don't bring it on stage, write down on the notepad, like all the bits I'm going to do or want to do. Um, and then I just have it in my head kind of floating around. Um, or just the exercise of reminding myself of their existence, I think, primes my brain to think about them more quickly when I'm on stage. And, and now that I'm doing more like hours, uh, that, that's that's kind of my method. And then I always come off and I'm like, oh, I didn't do that one or oh, I didn't do that bit. But but I like to just like remind myself of all the things I'd like to do. And I'm trying to be better now you know, it's one of these things where I, I, I have more than an hour. I'm, you know, I, I'm dying for someone to ask me to film something or I have to decide for myself, but I have kind of all this material that's it's done and it works. And when I'm not doing great, I, I go back to it and it saves me. And I'm trying to really be disciplined to like wipe away that first line of like, of good jokes because ones that I know work a hundred percent. I'm like, well, why, why do these anymore? These are, these are totally done. And so I, I really try before uh, my sets. Now when I do that little transfer out of my notepad, not write down those ones that I know work, just constantly focus on the ones that are almost there or new. And um, that's, that's my method. I've been doing it a long enough and I do enough sets that like, if I need to do a killer 15, I can do it. And if you looked at enough of them, you'd be like, oh, there's kind of an order he does. uh, Or he has these five different openers or these five different closers. But I'm I'm loose in that respect. And I imagine if there comes a day where I'm doing more important, I imagine if I was at the comedy cellar and I felt like, oh, I need to like murder, murder every time. I would have to be a little more organized, but I'm not one of those guys that has like four different 15s. I like the freedom. I like to play. And I'm so, so strict in my joke writing internally. I like to have, and I I think I've tightened them enough that I've earned the right to be loose in terms of order and go with however I'm feeling in the moment.
0: Yeah, what do you what what informs? What do you think informs that order? Is it the audience? Is it something that's just on your mind? Like what what's going on internally as you decide what jokes to do where? I think I I have the jokes that like
2: like like I have a I have a joke and it's like it's one of these where I I'd like to use it in a late night and then f- tell myself I'm never allowed to use it again, and it was one of my year one. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, um, uh, my dad, we're Italian. We kiss each other. Goodbye. Someone saw my dad and I kiss. They say, uh, Oh, do, do you kiss your, ew. Do you kiss your dad in public? I was like, yeah, you know, it'd be weird if I only did it in private. And it's like, it's this type of joke that like, I feel like I could do it in, uh, in Europe. I could do it in China. I could do it like it's, it's very, um, it's it's very much like i'm able to say everything about the thing that's funny is the person saying do you do that in public and that makes sense and then it, it makes sense why someone would say that but the inverse is even more insane like it's all kind of contained within the joke you don't need to be from a certain place or know a certain people it's funnier if you know italians it's 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 but it's that kind of joke that is a saver. And so like I know if I need to earn an audience's trust, I can do that and it'll work. And then I all of a sudden I'm open to more things. I'm open to darker jokes. I'm open to jokes with longer setups. I'm open to a little bit more stories. So I think that's kind of how my brain operates where I'm like get the joke that fucking turns the audience on, gets them gets them to trust you. That's so much of 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 what comedy is is the audience has to believe that if they give you their attention for whatever increment of time your setup is you're going to pay it off with the punchline i think that's why comedians get so frustrated with storytellers or why storytellers sometimes bomb in comedy because storytelling audiences they give you much more trust they're much more generous comedy you have a talk about the apollo like that's what the Apollo is. You have this much trust. You get to go out there, they're gonna give you one setup and one punchline. If your punchline does not reassure them that you are worth their time, you will get booed off the stage. And comedy clubs are not are not as hard as the Apollo, but the Apollo is a very like quintessential. You you better prove yourself right away, or you don't get any more time. And not every comedian. There's lots of famous comedians who would who would get booed off the Apollo. Were they not famous? But like that's how you have to think about it in terms of stand up. You have a little bit more trust than the Apollo, but not much. And once you gain their trust, then you've earned the right to try the story or try the more risque thing. And that's why sometimes you can look at famous comedians and be frustrated. Um, you know, it's it's. I, I sometimes think with some comedians I admire, I'm like, Oh, would this work at a comedy club? And it, maybe not, but that comedian has earned fans or has fans that give them more trust from the get go than you get as a nobody comic where nobody knows you in the audience. And you have to operate with that understanding as you build towards, you know, someday doing your Mike Barbiglia uh, storytelling set. Um, it, you know, it, he did not start off like that. He started off
0: with jokes in a way where he could do maybe the Apollo. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point just to talk about. Yeah, never forget how you start a set is super important. Your that you're building that trust. I've messed up before and done and just just on the mic last week. I, I messed up. I started with a joke that I just shouldn't have started with. And it kind of just didn't set the stage for the, for the set. And uh, I realized, and, and Brian reminded me that like, Hey, different order would have made that probably work great, but yeah. you've got to start with the trust builders and the, and the stuff that get, gets them believing in you for sure. Everyone's a little anxious that it's going to be a bad time. Mm. Some people don't like stand up, watching state of comedy
2: because they feel anxious already. And so like, your job is to alleviate that anxiety to show them that they're in good hands. You know, you're, you're steering the ship. And if, if you're fucking, you know, if if it's clear that you don't know what you're doing, they're going to feel it. And there, there's nothing funny about being nervous.
1: (laughs) Um, That's a really, that's a really good point. I don't think we've talked about that before. As showrunners, what we do is we, we try to get everybody comfortable before the show. It's the most important thing, you know, help them arrive at the space that they, you know, help them get to the space that they arrived at, be ready to laugh, enjoy themselves, enjoy the show. Cause you're right. There is isn't a lot of anxiety, uh, especially at comedy it's, they've already had a full day and a lot of times a full week, especially if it's like a Thursday or Friday night, like they need, they need some help winding down. And, uh, and I love the idea of a saber joke. I don't have, I don't really have one like a one-liner authentic, you know, it's going to punch and quick and regain trust. I need to, that's a good call out. I need to find one of those.
2: Yeah, I mean, and it's just sometimes it's just your best jokes or it's your tightest jokes. Like I have like bomb savers. Like I have mine whenever I have a joke like bomb. I just do. Ah, oh, it's like my high school basketball coach used to tell me, "You miss a hundred percent of the shots you take,"
3: and <laughs> that's
2: my that's my saver. But it's 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 just like. You know, I. It's sometimes they're not jokes that you're like. I have mine of like, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a pot guy. All my friends switched to CBD, which is like decaf weed. My friend was like, "Yo, it's like being without the high." That's green tea. Like something about it is just it's quick, it's surprising, it's silly, and I know that if I've kind of the audience has has tampered down a little, like that'll just get them giggly again, and then I can go. And explore, and you know, once you once you do comedy long enough, you have enough of those that uh, can save. And sometimes, sometimes I have to let go of them again. Like sometimes it's like, well, don't do this. The only way you're going to find your new savers or your new great jokes are as if you like, you know, fall back on that B material and fucking figure out which ones you can make into a saver. That's such your
0: That's- whole hour should be all savers and all good. that's wonderful i think we use some of those jokes as a crutch uh and instead of progressing forward as a writer and a a comic we go well i know this works and instead of being like no i'm gonna figure out a new joke like i've done i'm probably the worst offender like i feel like I, i recycle a lot of material especially when if the room is not hot then i will go back to my favorites and i'm like no I need to I need to fight through and find these new jokes and find how to make them work and keep keep the progression going forward always. And that's why I mean, I've been
2: trying to host less because, I mean, there's another thing where like hosting really tough to to push yourself because you do have a job as a a host Mm -hmm. and that is to get the audience cooking. And if you're a host trying to work new stuff, God bless. Good luck, because you might (laughs) You might fucking tank. And uh, it, I think it can be very tough. Like, as a host, that's when a lot of my, where I leave my hosting sets and I'm like, ah, fuck. I did all the stuff that I, you know, I was finished three years ago. Uh, but your job's different as a host, sadly.
1: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and cue up the clip, uh, recent clip from the Rogue Island Comedy Festival. Uh, just real quick, I think you mentioned it's for you're you're sending this for late night submissions. Did you say that?
2: Yeah. Well, I was just like the, these are jokes that like some of them are from a while ago. Some of them like I've just these are the most finely tuned years and years. And so, uh, one of my big goals, obviously, is 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 late night and uh this is kind of a lot of my like this is who i am jokes so cool so yeah cool. let's run the clip oh good i'm glad we're doing this again i uh, social distancing it was it was very hard for me because I, I i'm, a, I'm italian
3: <laughs> and
2: if, if you don't know times we, we, we do a lot of hugging we, we, we kiss each other goodbye not everyone's into it just ask Andrew Cuomo <laughs> <laughs> but,
3: like, They're
2: not they're not I remember my roommate who's not Italian at all. I remember the first time my roommate saw Me and my Italian father kiss each other. Goodbye. He was like "Ew." Do you kiss your dad in public? And I was like, yeah Yeah, do you know what would be weird? If I only kissed him in private I was like, hey cops, let's get out of here for an appropriate goodbye. You know, now with COVID, when I see my dad, I was scared to hug or scared to shake hands. It feels like we're Irish. Um, now I should tell you up front, my dad, he wasn't born in Italy or anything. But my, my father, he told me that in, in the 1930s, my grandpa Luigi, which is his actual name, my grandpa Luigi and my grandma Donkey Kong immigrated here. When people ask me where I'm from, I'm like, NINTENDO. <laughs> oh. <laughs> someday that joke's going to be racist, you know? I know I know someday I'm going to do that accent, some Italian in the back's going to be like, Who the
3: fuck do you think you are? And
2: I'll be a smartass, I'll be like, It's a me, a Mario. Then I'll get cancelled, I'll have to go on Twitter and be like, I'm so society. So nice, so nice. I miss this. I love doing this because I I'm I what's known as an extroverted introvert, which if you don't know, that basically means like when I'm talking, I'm very extroverted, but if you're talking, I'd rather be alone. I I went to college for musical theater. And then I went on to get a PhD in imagination. But it means that I'm what's known in show business as a triple threat. Okay, threat number one, I can act. Threat number two, I can see. Thank you, thank you. And threat number three, Annoying. Uh, it's a very easy degree to get. My classes were called things like movement and voice and other things I had studied as a baby. My only academic class was called accounting for actors, which was like regular accounting but with a focus on negative numbers. <laughs> I've been an actor longer than I've been a comedian. I've shared the stage with some people who have gone on to become fucking huge real estate agents. (laughs) (laughs) Last year was going quite well for me. I Actually, made my TV debut last year on Law and Order SVU. Uh, Thank you.
3: I appreciate.
2: I I I played Ice T's waiter.
3: a small part,
2: but you know, I wanted to do well, it's TV, so to prepare for the role, I actually became a waiter for 12 years. <laughs> I even used to have one of those jobs where, like, between taking people's orders, I'd sing musical theater songs, which some people hate, and it's not what Chipotle is known for. But people, are. Right? Like wouldn't you tip more at IHOP if you got to see your waitress have custody of her children? My parents are divorced. uh, My parents got divorced when I was seven days old. So like most kids, my first word was mama, but my next five were told me to tell you. the custody battle was so ugly it was so drawn out that when i was old enough to talk the judge ruled i could decide where i wanted to live it's a very hard decision to make but i moved in with the judge Um, because it's hard to choose because like when your parents get when your parents get divorced there's always like the really strict but responsible parent and then there's the dad like my dad my dad was fun Like, when my dad packed me lunch for school, he would always slip three Snickers minis into my pack of cigarettes. He spoiled me. My dad bought me whatever I wanted. I remember when I was eight years old, my dad asked me what I wanted for Christmas. I was like, Dad, all I want is a samurai sword. He got me the samurai sword. I played with it once. And then all I wanted was my dog back.
1: Oh man.
0: Very good. (laughs) What a set. That is so strong. Thank
2: you. It's so great. Every joke, almost every joke in there. It has such a, like a long history. Like I could, I could like explain like five minutes in every joke, like the, 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 how it first started the journey it took. But those, you know, those are my, those were my pillars from the beginning. It was like my parents, I grew up with like divorced Mm -hmm. parents from the get. I went to college for musical theater. Uh, And, uh, uh, Italian stuff. But like, like that musical theater one is one, like, you know, the, the first joke that I came up with was that triple threat joke way long time ago. And, you know, figuring out how to, how to do that. And then like that little thing, I went to college for musical theater and then I went on to get a PhD imagination. Like, I, I've been I've been trying to think of you know more musical theater jokes for years and years and years and each of those jokes came at a different time. Originally, it was I went to college for musical theater and I have a PhD in imagination, and it worked kind of. But then I added like, and then I went on to get a PhD in imagination. I realized I had to like add a little bit more of a sentence to mislead them. Uh, uh, that 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 Chipotle joke <laughs> took took forever. Like it used to be. Uh, which, which it was not what I, I used to have one of those jobs where between taking doors, I'd sing musical theater songs, which is not what they normally do at Chipotle. And that was it. <laughs> but then I was like, Oh no, if I do, which not everyone likes, it's not what Chipotle is known for. There's a lot of, sometimes we're like the punchline, you, you sneak it in a little bit earlier as opposed to right at the end. Um, and then that, that bit about the IHOP waitress came, you know, way later So like, again, part of like me writing these jokes down and seeing it in front of me lets me go like, I feel like there's more there. I feel like there's more there. Let me add a little more. Let me tinker a little more. And so I feel like the reason those jokes are really strong is because it's years and years of fine tuning and stretching and sometimes adding more setup or, or figuring out where I can build the tension or mislead a little bit more. Uh, that, that, that when the punchline comes, it's more surprising. Um, so yeah,
0: the fine tuning is hard. It's like, I, maybe I feel like I'm not quite there in the sense of, okay, I can write some jokes to get laughs, but to analyze them that deeply and go, ah, I need to build a little more tension here. That's a hard place to get to. Like
2: uh, another, like, I, I think, um, the Donkey Kong joke was like another one where like it feels like it went through a lot of iterations where first it was uh, my my grandpa it was my grandpa Luigi immigrated here with his wife Donkey Kong and it worked <laughs> fine it worked fine and then I said Donkey Kong from Nintendo and then eventually I was like oh here's a way I can slip it my grandpa Luigi which is his actual name and my grandma Donkey Kong immigrated here so I you know I move I eventually move the punchline from the beginning to the to to the middle. I mislead with uh, my grandpa Luigi, which is his actual name. Uh, and then it used to be uh, Donkey Kong immigrated here from Nintendo. Um, but then I changed it. Something about the Nintendo didn't always pop. So I I go back and I go, "Mm, oh, I see. Maybe it needs a little more space. I need to reset the bow. So I go, when people ask me where I'm from, I'm like Nintendo. And like that ends up working better because A, I, I, I sometimes think with tags, something I always challenge myself is like, sometimes you need more setup or you need to reset up the tension or you need to like figure out a way to make it move even more. So like in that case, And again, this is like, it's dissecting the frog, but I I think it can be useful where it's like the original joke is that my history is bullshit. My Italian history. That's where the joke comes from. My dad lied about my, my dad pretended we were way more Italian than we were. So that's the first joke. And then the second is when people ask me where I'm from, I like, and then you, you connect it and it's kind of a callback. It's a little callback to the Donkey Kong thing. So again, like that joke, just started with my my grandpa luigi immigrated here with his wife donkey kong that was the first joke and then from there i add i expand i move and eventually i feel like that's an example of a joke where i feel very confident it's done but there's a different time in my life you know if i was if someone was asked me for a late night set three years ago i would have thought it was done before and again, that's another reason why some of your favorite comedians' their fourth or fifth specials are weak, and it's because they get the laugh for white hot crowds, and they it's done for them. When really, there's there's so much more. It's never done until you've decided it's done. It's torture.
0: It's <laughs> torture. Good point, though I mean, even like, I think sometimes you're right. When a, when a joke works, we 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 just let it go, and really you never know the potential of that joke if you really put the work into it and go, okay, it's working. Uh, Cause I mean, as a newer comic, you know, we kind of go, Hey, it gets a laugh next joke done working on this yeah. one. Instead of going back going, ah, is there, so what can I add to this? How can I make this even better? We're more excited about trying to get a new joke than making our, our current working jokes. Excellent. Yeah. And
2: I, so the, I think like one of the balances is like, I, I've always struggled with the balance of, In the beginning, I think I was always trying to write too much new. I think sometimes I'm like that, and then other times I feel like "Ah, I'm doing too much old, and I'm like, at the very least, try to go to your sets, unless you have a set where you need to kill. It's a booker, it's an audition, it's for someone in the crowd, whatever, trying to get laid. But always, (laughs) um, if, if you're if you don't have to kill, if you don't have to be the greatest thing, always have like a goal for your set. Whether it's maybe it's your classic joke that you've done a million times, try doing something new. And uh, once in a while, I'll try to shift something on a joke that's still pretty strong, and I'll be like, "Well, nope, that ruined it." And but always try to do something. And how you, that, try, you just, never know. Yeah, that's I think what makes stand-up comedy a, a challenging art form because you have multiple goals of you you want to do well and trying to learn you know uh it's very hard to practice stand-up comedy in a vacuum and uh that's why i always think it's so funny and i think i'm i'm moving towards there where when i first started booking a show like oh you know or we a weekly not a headliner type show but we would get like you know, these big comics in our mind to headline to do 15 minutes at the end. they had fucking bombed their ass off. And it's because, you know, they had the seller that night and they had to be good at the sell So they realized that my show is the one they need to work on their shit. I remember, I remember, uh, I, I don't think this is speaking out of turn. He's a great comic, Namesh Patel. And I remember he did a show and this was super early on. And I remember he, he had just, I believe he had just come back from Africa and he had gone on like a safari tour and he was just like talking through the tour. And I was in the back, like, what the fuck yeah. we're paying you. We're paying you 25 bucks, buddy. <laughs> 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 material here. But now I'm like, now I'm like, Oh God, good for him. He knew our show was the time to, to push and explore because other times, you know, your, your experimentation has to be smaller. And so my show was the one he had to just explore. And that's, that's the journey. That's the journey. That's why Dave Chappelle does four hour sitting on a stage, smoking a cigarette. Cause he fucking can and still get invited back.
3: <laughs>
2: Believe you me. If I could go to the cellar and talk through four hours and people would stay and they would bring me back. I'd be there right now.
1: Well, that, I like that you you said this is sort of your coming out as you set the 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 one that you would, might use for late night because uh, that's where a lot of comics start right where you're building a five you're building that tight five you're building that tight ten that tight fifteen and what might be helpful is what you just said you have the bullet points of your life you've got your parents were divorced uh, which is a great that I, I reminded me that my parents were divorced too I used to be so sad but I suppressed it all but there's there's comedy and all that and I got to go find it. Nice but you know your your musical theater uh yeah the waiter you know being a waiter for all that time and and then you know bullet those out and mine all that for your material that'll that'll help you show up authentic and then of course uh all the misdirects and hidden punchline stuff is just brilliant for people who are trying to in- improve their jokes so you know great advice uh, honestly uh, for people at any level of comedy
2: yeah it it'll give you it, it, it that's how I started. I really like wrote down those those. What are the big things that you can talk about in the beginning? I mean, it, it kind of comes from this old model of like in the 80s or the 90s or whatever. These stand up comedians they do their five minutes, and then they'd be like, "It has to like set the groundwork for your uh, your your television series about your life." That's why you know Ray Romano's was kids, but but it's always good to kind of focus on that personal stuff. Take inventory about like your unique things um like like matthew brassard is a perfect example i'm sure you guys talked about but like he's got man he's got i'm sure he has like a hundred amazing intro jokes about his looks and his appearance and he he's got a bunch of them because that you have to think to yourself and this is kind of what i learned from roast battles too we're like what are the things that the moment you walk on stage people go Hmm, interesting. This is why like, you know, like uh, a, a lot of black comics will have a couple lines if they're in a room where the entire audience is white, because it's like you'd be a fool to not go P- everyone in the room sees something they all have eyeballs and they all see that everyone in this room is white and it looks like everyone in this room probably <laughs> doesn't doesn't even have a black friend and there is a black guy on stage and they're performing and and the, the the they'll they'll crush with these because they're recognizing something that is in the room the setup is already there it's in the room and now they just have to deliver the punch and there's an extra spiciness because everyone's like oh yeah we all saw this we didn't even have to say it and that's really what you can that's why people you know that's why everyone has i know what you're thinking i look like a and that's a little bit cliche at this point but there's versions of that is like recognize when you walk on stage what is it that people see I know that if I perform for four minutes and I'm being theatrical, a lot of people assume that I'm a gay man. Now, you know, I I can play with that. I can can revel in that. I can explore that. Or if they see I'm awkward, if they see I'm lanky, or if they see that I'm passionate, or if they see I'm Jewish. And uh, that's a good place to start. Um, And you'll have time to explore all your other concepts and get to talk about, you know, why – capitalism this and why America this and why politics this but I think it's always good to start with yourself because A, no one else is going to have that material the digger, the more you, you dig deep. I don't know I'm sure there are a lot of comedians who grew up with divorced parents from the time they were young but I think the fact that my parents got divorced before I was aware of my existence is pretty unique to me. There's not a lot of comics out there who have that particular thing. And so, you know, I'm in the clear where my jokes about that will not be too hack. Um, so so that's always a good place to start. Write out those big your bit my you know, how many people went to college for musical theater? Not that many, and also I know about it. Like people could make jokes about going to college for a musical theater. I don't think there's a lot of people who could come up with the joke, uh my classes were called things like movement and voice and other things I'd studied as a baby. That is very unique. We're like, it's only because I did that for four years that I recognized that as part of the specific curriculum and then it's my job. And it was not easy. That joke was not easy to figure out of finding this unique niche thing. How can I explain to the audience this fact and then make the joke off of it? And I think it's unique to me because you, you just your mind doesn't go there unless you really lived it. Um, yeah. and, and that's why, you know, I, that same show, there was a guy I never met him. Like, I guess his his thing is he's a janitor. And, you know, he, he now has these niche janitor jokes and it's like I could probably come up with a couple jokes as a janitor, but they will they will not have the smell and the theme of authenticity as him who has fucking had to clean up vomit with sawdust or put away tables every day for years. And that's why his version is going to really just hit you somewhere deeper.
0: Yeah, it really does. I love that, and I I grew up. My dad's like a Baptist preacher. I do a bunch of religious material. Grew up, spent my whole life in the church kind of religious scene, and so I try to lean into that as much as possible. and And it's been a fun thing to explore because I am well versed in that area, and so I think fi- everyone needs to find w- with those those buckets in their in their lives that they just are a little more well versed and a little more experienced than maybe the average Joe. And then flex that muscle. That's, that's a
1: wonderful idea. Yeah. Well, let's get, we've got one last joke to talk about. It is our last segment and we call it last laugh. Let me roll the clip. Yeah, it's weird. All right. So <laughs> last laugh, it is the, the, the joke that uh, Jean, Jean Marco wants on his tombstone. All right, now, I didn't put too much thought into this, but I will
2: say that one thing sticks with me. A friend of mine said he heard this at an open mic, so I don't even know if this is like a comedian. They are still a comedian, but (laughs) the joke is, uh, miso soup, quit bragging. (laughs) And something about that, I think I'm like, If I'm gonna be dead, you know what? Fuck you. It's a it's a dad joke and it's fun and it's the dumbest joke and it makes me laugh. And it's four it's four words. Pretty impressive. (laughs) Four word jokes. Gotta admire it.
0: (laughs) That's awesome.
2: So that's mine. And you could fit that on a tombstone. It wouldn't cost too much for the engraving. Me so yeah. st-
1: Very considerate bracket. of your family. Yeah. Your family's <laughs> uh, yeah, having to pay for your services. Well, listen, uh, this has been incredible. I mean, it's uh, we got a couple shows tonight, and I'm taking some of the stuff we talked about here to stage, uh, which, uh, which is great. Um, so this has been a really great discussion. Hopefully everybody listening has enjoyed it. Uh, we'll talk about our show in a second, but uh, can you please tell people where to find you uh, online? Anything coming up that, that you'd like to share?
2: Yeah, so uh, it's it's my handle, Joe Marcos Duressi. I got the TikToks, the, the Instagram, mm-hmm. YouTube, Twitter. Um, uh, you know, t- listen to my podcast. It's new. I'm working. as You know, I mean, I'm impressed by all your technical know-how here. It's very impressive. I uh, uh, so it's called the downside. Um, it's, it's good. I got a Patreon, patreon.com slash downside. Um, but otherwise I interview comedians and other people about all the, the negatives of people's lives and a lot of death talk recently. If, every time a guest, someone has died recently and we really dig deep into that. So it's fun. It's sad. It's complaining. It's very Jewish. Uh, so <laughs> check it out. The downside. And, uh, yeah, I post all the shows, a lot of shows coming up and I'm so excited to go to Houston for the first
1: time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so check out the downside. Yes, he will be in Houston. That's August 14th. We'll have two dates. Tickets will be on sale today. I think so. Okay. Uh, so we recording this podcast. So let's sell this thing out these shows out and have a blast doing it. Uh, so this has been great, man. We'll, we're going to see you soon. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. And uh, this has been breaking down bits. Thank you. all Peace. Thanks, man.
0: Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.